If I've never had the privilege to meet you, my name's Scott. I get to be the, the pastor here. And uh, excited to, to bring this to a conclusion today, the detox series. It's been good. And I want to start by asking you a couple questions. You don't need to raise your hand and identify yourself. Just let this be internal, <laughs> okay? Uh, have you ever thought to yourself that God was mad at you because you don't do enough? I wonder if you've thought that to yourself. I wonder if you've had something bad happen to you or somebody else in your life, something tragic, something difficult, and you thought that uh, it happened because God was paying you back. God was mad at you. Maybe you've prayed for healing, physical healing for yourself, or you prayed for healing for somebody else, and, and uh, when it didn't happen, you, you, you wondered if you had enough faith. You wondered if maybe it was their faith that was the problem. Or you, maybe something bad happened in your life, and you asked God to change circumstances, and he didn't do what you prayed to do, and uh, you got mad at him. He thought, well, something's wrong with me, something's wrong with my faith, something's wrong with God. Have you ever been critical of other Christians by the way they express their faith, that maybe they don't talk and believe exactly the same way you do, and you find yourself being critical? You thought if they were really a Christian, this is how they would do things. Maybe you've given to God your tithe or your, uh, an offering, and did you ever think that he's obligated to give back to you more than, than what you gave, something along the lines there? Maybe another direction is, have you ever thought to yourself that God doesn't care how you live? He doesn't really care how you live your life. Maybe you've thought to yourself, it's not really, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, as long as you sincerely believe it. Well, all of those things are potential symptoms of toxic faith, of, of things, a poison that can get in your faith and have, you, have it skewed and get you off from the track that God has you becoming the person that he wants you to be. Um, we've been in this series, Detox. We talked about what does it look like to detox from toxic thoughts, influences, habits, relationships, words, and today, faith, to get those toxins out of our, our, our spirits, if you will, out of our inner person so that we can walk the kind of life that God wants us to walk. The working definition we've been using for toxic is anything containing poisonous materials capable of causing sickness or death. Now, I think this today, this conclusion, I, I, I would ask that you just kind of buckle up a little bit. This is not going to be, this is it's not, not an easy message. It's going to be, it's going to stir some things up in every single one of us to some degree. I know that. I have felt a, a little warfare over this message that's been different than other times. And so I really believe if you would open your ears and your heart and let God's word and the Holy Spirit speak to you, he wants to, to say something to you this morning. We are saved by faith. We live by faith. Everything we do is by faith. So what we believe really, 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 really matters. It really does. What we believe really does affect. We live what we believe. You and I live what we believe. We, we live out the parts of the Bible that we genuinely, genuinely believe. 
how we live our lives is, we, is what we believe. Now, Paul, the apostle, told Timothy, his young protege, who was his disciple who he pastored and then let him go uh, pastor the church that he planted in Ephesus. He writes this to him. He says, Timothy, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. He's saying it's important what you believe, what you teach. Do you know what, what, what we're supposed to believe and how, how does that impact every part of our life? Because every single one of us, if you were to be honest, we're prone to some goofy thoughts sometimes. We're prone to superstitions and thinking silly things sometimes. I am. I include myself in there. We all can get off base and have some error in our life from what the scriptures really teach us about what God wants for us. And when that gets into us, it becomes a toxin. And that toxin leads us away from the type of life that God truly wants us to live. And so I want to give you over the next several minutes some sources of toxic faith and I want you to ask yourself honestly if you've been influenced by any of these potential sources of toxic faith. And I want to give you the remedy at the end of how to overcome some of these things that can get into our life. The first one I would tell you is this. You can write this down. False teachers. False teachers can create toxic faith. Over and over in the Bible, it talks about false teaching and false teachers. What is a false teacher? A false teacher is somebody who says they're speaking on behalf of God or they're teaching the scriptures, but they're not teaching truth and they're not teaching the heart of God. And a false teacher can lead you, you know, away from what God truly has for you. There's a difference between the word error and the word heresy. It's really important. We all have error in our life. I have error, you have error. The most scholarly person that knows the Bible back and forth still has error. It's because we're not in heaven yet. We don't see things perfectly yet. And so the error can come from just you know, taking the Bible a little out of context or misinterpreting something. We all don't, don't see the Bible perfect the way we, we, we will ultimately in heaven. Error doesn't lead you to damnation. Heresy does. Heresy is something that if it's, if it's believed and it moves you away from, it's a salvation issue and it's a, it's a heaven and hell issue. If you believe this, you don't have the real Jesus. You don't have the real God of the Bible. And it's important that, again, it, God doesn't leave room for believe whatever you want to believe about me. Believe whatever you want to believe about Jesus. He just didn't leave room for that. And so it's important that we understand what we really believe. We need to be so familiar with the basic elements, the basic truths of the Christian faith that, that when a counterfeit comes by, we can spot it like that. One of the best illustrations is when people study counterfeit money, they don't study fake money. Did you know that? They, they get so familiar with the real money, real bills, and every little nuance on that bill that, boom, they can, they can spot the counterfeit because that's not the real deal. That's what God wants you and I to be so familiar with the most important parts of our faith, which is Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is God. The Bible can be trusted. The Bible is authoritative, and it has, leads us to the kind of life that God wants us to have. It leads us to Jesus. Those important things to understand the biblical Jesus, why we can trust the Bible, who is God, what is the church, 
Why do you exist? What's your purpose? These things are super important for us to know and be fully aware of. That's why we offer classes all the time. That's why getting in a home group and studying scripture with somebody else is important. That's why being around other believers, not just on Sunday and not just hearing one message during the week, but saturating yourself with, with the scriptures over and over will protect you from false teaching. Look what Paul said. He was leaving this church in Ephesus in the book of Acts, and he gives a, a, a challenge to the leaders of the church. He says, so guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood. It's his church. Let's never forget that. It's, it's his church. Over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. And he says, watch out. I've seen it happen before in people's life. I've seen false teaching lead people who said they were Christians following Jesus, knew the Bible, to denying Jesus because of, of false teaching and false teachers that come in and, and distort the word of God. And as, as Paul talked about, that, that your, your faith gets shipwrecked in 1 Timothy. And we got to be careful. We got to watch our life and our doctrine, like Paul said. Um, I know a, a man who was a pastor, and he bought hook, line, and sinker the whole health and wealth gospel. And that name it, claim it, give to get, that whole thing, is, it's a distortion of scriptures. That doesn't mean that God doesn't bless us and there's not blessings from God and that God doesn't heal and that we don't pray for those things. But there is a thing that gets out of control and there's, there's false teaching that happens on that that leaves people shipwrecked in their faith when God doesn't answer their prayers and, and their name it, claim it the way they thought they were supposed to. And so he, he was teaching that to his flock. And he taught it so much but didn't see it really happening in, in his own life. And so he was honest. I, I remember Chris Ingalls and I were, were in a meeting with him, and he told us that uh, because it wasn't really happening the way he preached it, he began to embezzle money from his own flock. And uh, it happened over and over for, for a season in his life, and then God convicted him and showed him that that was false teaching to start with. You know what he did? He got up and he repented before his church. He said, I was wrong. And he asked for their forgiveness and I think he even said he paid it back or something along those lines. And he's, he's now a counselor in, in, in another state. But to, to see how that false teaching can take you down the road and shipwreck your faith to go that far, we got to be on guard. Now, I could spend a whole message on false teaching. Each one of these sources of, of toxic faith, I could spend hours. We could all spend hours and hours. My encouragement and challenge to you is when in doubt, please go to the scriptures. What does the Bible really say in its context? Um, and let's talk it through so that none of us could find ourselves shipwrecked. Second thing, source of toxic faith is dogmatic teaching that goes beyond the essential truths of the faith. What does that mean to have a dogmatic teaching that goes beyond, remember the essentials. If you're taking notes, circle essential truths. Be familiar with the essential truths of Christianity. That's so important. Dogmatic teaching, 
is when we make a secondary it's a, a issue, a non-essential issue, we make it the A game. We make it the most important thing. And it, 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 it raises, it, it takes a, a gray area in scripture and makes it black and white, if you will. And, you know, it could be your, your view of the end times, your view of how Jesus is going to come back. There are people in churches that divide over not believing the exact same thing about the end times. Here's what we know at Novation. Jesus is coming back, <laughs> and I'm, I'm longing for that day. How and when we can get our charts out and our speculation and do all these things, but still at the end of the day, we, we, don't, know, we don't know. Spiritual gifts. They, they tend to divide people in churches sometimes on, on how the gifts are for today or not. I mean, those are important things, but what you believe about the spiritual gifts is not an essential truth to Christianity and to you uh, going to heaven or not. It's important that we understand that. People take scripture out of context. Um, for example, did you know that, that in the U.S. history, part of the reason slavery was okay was because in the Bible, Paul talks about slavery in some of his letters. He says, slaves, you know, obey your masters as unto the Lord. Work hard for them, etc." And so somewhere, somebody isolated that one text of Scripture and said, see, it's okay to have slaves. That's not what the Bible teaches. You know, the, the context was, the fact is, the people he was writing to, there was slavery in the time of, that the Bible was being written. And so Paul is just encouraging these slaves who actually became Christ followers, listen, win your master's over by how you live your life. You know, he was meeting them right where they were at. So we can take things out of context and make a dogmatic teaching that goes beyond what it's really saying. Um, Paul told Timothy, he said, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Remember years ago, the, the Y2K, when it turned to year 2000? And I remember watching whether it was you know, Christian TV or the internet or whatever, and people who were selling their Y2K survival kits, Christians, and you got to be ready because this is it. And, and there were ministries just making loads of money. And what happened? Nothing. It just turned into the year 2000. And I always thought, did you give that money back to all those people that you suckered into buying those Y2K survival kits? I mean, we make a dogmatic teaching out of something that we don't fully know or understand that's not essential. We're creating problems. And what it does is it creates divisions in the church. That happened in the church at Corinth. The letter of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul's addressing questions that were going on at the church at Corinth. And in, early on in 1 Corinthians, Paul starts kind of rebuking them where some of them were saying, well, I'm of Paul. I go with Paul's teaching. And somebody else said, well, I, I'm of Apollos. He really gets it. And then somebody else got real smug and they said, well, I'm of Christ. I'm of Jesus. I'm, I trump both Paul and Apollos. And so there was this division and Paul's saying, stop. Stop walking in disunity over, you know, these secondary issues. And look what he says. He said, learn from us the meaning of the saying. Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. That's important. What happens is when we get dogmatic about non-essential truths, we create legalism. We create factions uh, we create who's in or out. Let me give you a quick definition of legalism. 
If, if you're wondering, you hear that word in church or you hear it somewhere else. Legalism from, in, from me to God, vertically, is when I think what I do and don't do can achieve favor and forgiveness from God. If I'm good enough or whatever, I do these things, da, 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 fill in the list, then I can, I can receive favor and forgiveness from God. We get legalistic with each other when we begin to command of each other something that the Bible does not command or that is unclear in the Bible. Uh, Chuck Swindoll wrote about a missionary couple, a young missionary couple went on the mission field and, and where they were at, this couple really liked peanut butter. Peanut butter was the, one of their favorite snacks. And they went, went on the mission field and they couldn't get peanut butter in the country that they were serving in. And so they had people like, be like Rusty and Kristen wanting, you know, there are missionaries in Mozambique. If they wanted something, we ship it over to them that they can't get there. Well, they were getting these shipments of peanut butter. Well, within this missionary community, they started getting legalistic with the couple that was receiving the peanut butter because they, they, they couldn't have it and they didn't get it. They began to start saying things like, well, if you're really going to be a Christian, you won't eat peanut butter. You'll, you'll kind of abandon peanut butter for the sake of the call of Christ. Here, lay it down, and, and on and on. And so the people were like, first, what are you talking about? Well, it so affected them, this controlling, legalistic approach about peanut butter, they came home and said, we, we can't, can't do this anymore. It crushed, crushed their spirit. It crushed their faith. It became toxic. When we build... When people build a church, if, when people build a, a community on dogmatic teaching, not the essentials, we are building a church on the essential truths of the faith. But when we build it on something outside of that, you know what that does? It creates a spiritual pride. It creates a sense of who's in and who's not. It creates a faction. We're right and everybody else is wrong. I see that often in church websites and statements and so forth. I don't want to be that. I want us to excel in the, in the essentials of the Christian faith and what God's called us to do. When we say we're biblical at Novation, that doesn't mean we think we're the be-all, end-all and have the proper interpretation on every part of Scripture. That's arrogant. That'd be foolish of us. But we're biblical in that we do believe this is God's word and it will lead us to truth and lead us into the kind of life that he wants us to live. So we're building a church not on dogma but on a, on a shared need. Every person in this room needs Jesus. We're broken, right? We have a shared brokenness that each one of us, that, that levels the playing field for every person that walks in the door of our church. It's not, are you in or are you out, but are you in need of Jesus? If you know you're in need of Jesus, we raise our hand and say, yeah, that's me. I need his grace every day. I've been walking with Jesus for 23 years. I still need his grace every single day, all of us. Third source of toxic faith, I would tell you, is this. Religion instead of relationship. The word religion, if you go to the Greek word of religion, do you know it literally means a return to bondage? The word religion does. It does not mean the word religion is altogether a bad word, but to be religious versus having a relationship with God means that I focus on the outward rather than the inward. I focus on my outward expression rather than inward transformation. And Christianity is built on inward transformation. It's from the inside out, not the other way around. 
When we are, have religion instead of relationship, it reduces the gospel to a set of rules and a list of do's and don'ts. The problem is that doesn't work. You ever had your list of do's and don'ts? How'd that work for you? My, I, I experienced, you know, that my first taste of Christianity was it was a list of do's and don'ts. And good Christians do this and bad people do, you know, do the opposite. And so mm, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I remember thinking, I'm in trouble. I can't do this. It wasn't until I was introduced to a relationship with Jesus did ch ch things change for me. Jesus didn't come to make us religious. He didn't come to create a religion. He came to, to bridge the gap between God and man. Um, Jesus, before you put this slide up, Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I, I'll take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Uh, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. And I'll give you true rest. I like how, how uh, Eugene Peterson puts it in the, the paraphrase of that. He says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Another source of toxic faith is unloving churches and Christians. That's a big problem. We... we People's, why do people so despise Christians in churches? i let you in on a secret. Because of Christians. <laughs> Dang it. It's true. People say they follow Jesus and the people don't realize we're the imperfect following the perfect. We're going to let each other down. But let's so strive to be the kind of people that Jesus said would be marked as his true disciples. He said the world will know. Here in John 13, he said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So what marks a Christian is love. And it shows how much we need to strive after being people of love. Gandhi, the, the famous Hindu guru, he actually read the Gospels, and he was intrigued by the words of Jesus. And he came to a Christian community, and he, he lived among them for a bit. And he walked away from that, and he didn't become a Christian. And he said, I like your Christ, but not your Christians. They don't do what he said to do. And that's a slap in the face. I don't want that to be said of me. I know I'm going to let people down. That doesn't mean not, we're, we're not going to let people down, and there's not going to be moments that we're not unloving. That's not realistic. But when you blow it, when you're unloving, when you do something at work or to a neighbor or to somebody else and you blow it, humble yourself and say, I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus and I didn't represent him very well there. That kind of humility worked in your life will make you a more loving person on a, on a daily basis. So walk in humility. When you blow it, admit it. That's what people want more than anything. As a parent, you want to turn your kids off to Jesus? Talk a big talk about Jesus and then be unloving and unforgiving and, and so forth to the people around you. They're not going to believe that what you say, say you believe is real. Repent to them when you blow it. When you, when you blow it with your kids, repent to them. Tell them that you're growing too. Another source of toxic faith is experiencing suffering. That's a big one for people. People go through a, a, an experience of, of suffering and they get this wrong view of God, this wrong view of heaven, of what life's supposed to be about. 
People think that Jesus is supposed to just fix everything. We want heaven on earth. But that's not Bible. Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have troubles and sorrows, he said. He said, here on earth, you're going to have many trials and many sorrows. But take heart, because I've overcome the world, he said in John 16, 33. When we go through suffering or you see people go through suffering, it can become toxic in your faith because you start thinking, well, why is this happening? This shouldn't be happening. If God was a loving God, then these things wouldn't be happening. The problem with that is, is... This isn't heaven. We're not there yet. There's coming a day when we cross over to the next life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to heaven. There will be no suffering, no sin, no sorrow. But here on earth, we're going to experience it. Don't let suffering make your faith become toxic. Let it make your roots go deeper in your understanding of the sovereignty of God, the power of God, and the love of God. And then the last source of of toxic faith is kind of ties this all together. It's when people have a different Jesus and a different gospel. Other religions, cults, other people with other sacred books, they have a different Jesus, and it's a different gospel. Paul warned the churches. He warned the church at Corinth. He said, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. Here's what I'll tell you. Just because somebody writes a book doesn't mean that they have, that, or, or that they have a website or that they're on TV, that they're not preaching the Jesus of the Bible and the gospel that Jesus preached. Be so familiar with Jesus in the gospels that you'll spot that counterfeit, the gospel and, and what it really means to live a gospel-centered life and a Jesus-centered life. I'll tell you, let me summarize this with, there's two extremes to avoid two toxic extremes to avoid when it comes to Jesus and his gospel. Avoid legalistic Jesus. <laughs> Forgive my little preacher alliteration here, but avoid legalistic Jesus and avoid light Jesus. And let me, let me explain what I mean by that. Legalistic Jesus is that picture that, that sometimes people have in their mind of Jesus as the taskmaster, that you always are letting him down, he's always mad at you, and, and people get this self-righteous religious view of Jesus that they're always trying to earn legalistic Jesus' favor by what they do and don't do, and am I working hard enough for him? That's one extreme. The other extreme, though, is this version of Jesus that... He doesn't really care how you live your life, and he just wants you to be happy, and it's a light version of what does it mean to follow Jesus. Both of those extremes are wrong. The, the true way that God wants us to see Jesus is Lord Jesus. The authentic Jesus of Scripture is Lord Jesus. Jesus didn't put up with with a self-righteous re religion, and he didn't put up with a mamby-pamby call to discipleship either. He, he, he didn't put up with either one of those. He gave a hard word to people who saw following him as something light. And he said, no, to follow me is to come and die. To follow me is to deny yourself. To follow me is to lay down your life. But then those who thought they could earn God's favor, Jesus' favor, but what they did and didn't do, he was hard on them too. So we got to avoid those extremes, those toxic extremes. I'll conclude with this. Let's take this a hair deeper for these last couple minutes we have together. Here's some characteristics of a healthy faith. 
A healthy faith begins and ends with Jesus plus nothing. You're going to see a paradox here in a second. It's going to seem like a paradox. Galatians 2.21 says that if righteousness could be attained by the law, then Christ died in vain. Meaning this, if right standing with God could be obtained by how I, you know, if I'm good enough, then Jesus didn't need to come and die. But he did come and die and prove that it's impossible for any of us to ever be right with God without faith in Jesus alone. The Christian life begins and ends with Jesus plus nothing. We don't add to that it's following Jesus is Jesus plus I go to church, Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus this or that. It doesn't happen. It's Jesus plus nothing. Here's the second ingredient, though. Well, let me say this to you first. Trusting in Jesus does not cost you a thing. It costs him everything. Trusting in him as Savior doesn't cost us anything. A healthy faith produces, but this is the counterpoint to that, a healthy faith produces full devotion and discipleship unto Jesus. Now, it's, it's a process, it's imperfect, but we're pursuing a fuller devotion to Jesus every day, a fuller discipleship, learning how to live from him. What does he ask of me? Learning to obey him in everything that he asks of me to do. That's a full-on discipleship to him. He told his disciples, he said, he said, if anyone wants to come after me and be my disciple, they got to take up their cross, deny themselves, and follow me. That's, a, that's not an easy word. That's not light Jesus talking there. But he said, if you want to gain your life, you got to lose your life. If you want real life, then give me your life. And I was thinking about that. When you realize and believe who Jesus is and what he's done for you, that, that it's Jesus plus nothing, then the only reasonable response is for me to give him my entire life. To give him my entire life. So I'll tell you this. Following Jesus will cost you everything. Trusting in him costs us nothing. But wholehearted devotion to him cost me my life. But that's a good thing. Sometimes we preach centering our life on Jesus and, and, and denying ourselves and losing our life for him just as a negative thing. I don't see it that way. When I became a follower of Jesus, I had tried to find purpose and meaning in life and my own, doing my own thing over and over and over and over. When I saw the words of Christ that he said, hey, if you'll lose your life for me, you'll gain abundant life here and in the life to come forever. I saw that as a positive thing. That's something to build and arrange and center my life on. That's, that I don't see as negative. The person with the spirit of God living on the inside of them doesn't see what they're giving up. They see what they're gaining. So today, if challenge yourself. You know, don't give in to this one side of following Jesus that I got to do everything. Yeah, he died for me, great, but I'm going to work hard for him and earn his favor. Wrong. Don't give in to the other side of, of some wimpy discipleship unto him that it's somehow this casual thing. No. To be a Christian is to be his disciple. It's an oxymoron to say I can be a Christian and not be a follower or a disciple of Jesus. It doesn't work that way. It's kind of all or nothing. But it is a process of understanding that. Thirdly, a healthy faith is a growing faith. And growing in Jesus takes time and discipline. It does. We talked about this. Reading scripture, learning to pray, um, 
learning to say no to, to self and sin and the things that you know, my sinful nature wants me to do, that's a process, and it takes time. But it, does, it, it never merits the favor of God, but it sure does take effort. Me and Brian were talking about this the other day. It doesn't take any effort to drift. If I'm in a little, little canoe going down a river and I don't paddle or do something, I just go wherever the current takes me. And that's often what we find ourselves doing in our Christian life is just, I uh, just go with the current. No, the effort is I get to paddle because I see where God wants me to go. And he's called us to walk with him. He doesn't walk for us, but we walk with him. We walk side by side with Jesus. Another thing about healthy faith is a healthy faith is it's lived in community. That's why you hear us stress this over and over and over, relationships, that living for Jesus is never done in isolation. You want to get toxic, have a recipe for a toxic faith, then try to follow Jesus by yourself. It doesn't work that way. We need one another to be accountable to one another, to love one another, care for one another. That's why it's so important to go beyond Sunday. Go beyond just coming and hearing a message and singing together, but getting in the life of the community. And that takes letting your guard down a little bit. That takes some of your time. It takes all kinds of things on your part. But to realize that Scripture teaches over and over a healthy faith is lived out in community. Lastly, a healthy faith is a shared faith. Philemon 6 says, I pray that you be active in sharing your faith so that you know every good thing you have in Christ. The more I share Jesus with others and his love, the more I get his mindset for people, the more like him I'm going to become. Sharing Jesus is not an optional part of our faith. And let's be honest, guys. Some of us in this room think it's somebody else's job to share Jesus. You think it's my job, the missionary job, the bold person's job. It's not. If you follow Jesus today, part of your discipleship to him is to tell people what he's done and pray about it. Ask him and be bold. I mean, this back to church Sunday next Sunday is a simple way. I mean, is sharing your faith inviting someone to church? Yeah, it kind of is. And you're inviting people to come be part of a community and to come experience what that's all about and, and who he's about. So let me conclude with this, and I'm going to pray. Would you be willing today to do something very simple? Would you commit today to avoiding the extremes? Would you, on one hand, turn away from trying to be good enough for God and work hard enough for God? And would you rest in the finished work of Jesus and what he did for you? And would you avoid the other extreme of half-hearted discipleship? Because I think there's a time coming where God is calling us to not be half-hearted anymore in our discipleship to him. Jesus doesn't want to be added to our lives. He wants to become your life and for you to center your life on him. And I'm telling you, it's the best thing you'll ever do with your life. Half-hearted discipleship isn't really discipleship. And so giving all of that I have to him, my time, my talent, my treasures, my life, my gifts, my relationships, my job, it's all centered around him. Let's don't be Sunday people. Let's be all week long sold out for what he wants for our lives. Let's pray.